Hi, I'm Matt Harrison. Matt Harrison. Hi, I'm Matt Harrison. Matt, Matt, Matt Harrison. President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President. President. President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And you're listening to Clerical Errors Podcast. Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And I'm Vicker. Welcome to the show. Well, we don't have Peter today. So uh, he is busy working very hard so that he can take care of his parents in their old age someday. Working for the man every night and day, right? Yeah. Yeah, working a lot of hours. I, I think he gets a chance right now to tell more people what to do at his job. <laughs> so, which is uh, good for the oldest child to, to, to do. They're well experienced at that. Yeah, a lot of practice. So, uh, um, it's good to, good to have you with us. It's been an interesting, for, I think, for the listener the last couple of weeks. Uh, we had, uh, uh, we had before two weeks episodes ago, we had Pastor Beisel join us, mm-hmm. um, which was fun. And uh, we had, uh, which I, I, this is what I, I find interesting about our show, okay, is, uh, is uh, one week we had um, the uh, premiere of the weird uh, segment uh, bench press parables, right? It, it kind of reminded me of Cobra Kai. Okay, <laughs> you seen Cobra Kai? I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, it uh, it was just the sweet, sweet eighties. <laughs> so, um, and uh, and then from there we went to uh, your your presentation on the uh, Aeolian. Yeah, the the Aeolian harp. Yeah, yeah, that was done at the Bugenhagen Conference in Wisconsin. And which which is interesting because mine was you know the bench press parable was like in your face and then yours is about beauty. <laughs> well, it just shows that this show is uh, all things to all people, right. right? Which which is why I think one of the reasons why we thought it'd be a good episode, a good podcast, is we're kind of the yin and yang to each other. It's the truth. <laughs> oh, I do have a beverage today. You do? Yes. Good. Yes. Um, uh, Vicar's worried. I don't know that if he had the the kibachi last time very much, but this is uh uh it's called bubbler. Bubbler. You three flavors. You get to choose first. Antitox, anti antitoxin, <laughs> <laughs> antioxidant sparkling water that boosts, energizes, and restores balance. Wow. So there's a cherry guava blender. Yes. There's a pomegranate. Ak- akai. A kai, a yeah. Kai? Okay, what's a kai? It's a it's a super fruit. See what they do is they have these these fruits that are supposed to be like super healthy for you. Okay. And so what they do is they take sparkling water and they make it taste like one of those fruits, so that it tastes so, like it's super healthy. It's kind of like virtue signaling. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. And then what's the other one? Twisted. Is it twisted? Uh, twisted elixir. Uh, which is raspberry lime citrus. Hmm. So, uh, 
and uh, there was a little bit of a hit of caffeine in there too. All right, so we are going to be secret? ready to go. It has that little hit of caffeine. You think, wow, this is like super healthy. I have a lot of energy now. Right. <laughs> Do you know that caffeine? Uh, it doesn't actually give you more energy. It just blocks your those tired receivers in your brain. Really? So it makes you think that you have more energy. Okay. So, yeah. It also improves uh, um, sporting. Um, if you take, I think it's like so many milliliters per pound, mm-hmm. um, it'll actually improve your uh, performance in sports like by 25 to 50%. Wow. Well, so, actually, I've actually gotten into uh, caffeine pills instead of my morning coffee. Oh, because of your, yeah, your condition. Right, right. So, so I got this, this, this bottle that's about, oh, it's about this, like six inches tall, like this canister. And it just says in big letters, caffeine. And it's got <laughs> 500 caffeine pills of 200 milligrams a pop. Wow. So what you're saying is, is that you're really productive in the morning. I try to be. So. Well, Vicar, why are you laughing? You said you're really productive and Vicar just immediately started laughing. I'm not sure what. Why you were laughing? I mean, the whole building shakes just a little bit when you walk in from the jitters. Okay, that could be. So, <laughs> well, all right. So, so what, what flavor do you got there? I've got the Twisted Elixir. So. All right, Vicar, which one would you like? We got uh, Cherry Guava Blender, and we have, we have a Pomegranate Akai Refresher. Let's try the cherry one. All right. So, all right. here we go. Wow, that's uh, that's interesting. I uh, it it tastes more of like uh, I thought it tastes more like water, like a watered right version of this, but uh, it's almost like a melted sherbet. Yeah, mine mine's kind of like uh, remember the old clearly Canadians. Can't uh, say that I do. That must be an age thing. So yeah, it's 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 uh. It's got some flavor. It's not quite like a regular sparkling water. It's got more flavor than sparkling water. Right. But, you know, I feel energized, man. <laughs> it I must be the uh, the coursing. super fruit flavoring. Yeah, I can feel it coursing through my <laughs> veins. Before we get on, we do have an update from uh, someone very special. Uh, that is number 15.0. We have an update uh, from from the prairie. From the mountains. Yeah, from out west. Uh, did he get snow? I think so, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I think, oh, even. Man. I, I texted him. I, I've been watching the weather. <laughs> I saw they got it in Deadwood, South Dakota. They got snow, so <laughs> oof Uh We hear the, the music for him. There's the nice music. Yeah. Isn't that nice? All right, uh, let's let's hear what the, the range, what's going on in the range. Here we go. Coming to you live from my very own basement. This is the Western Update for Clerical Errors. I'm Baldwin, and we're going to show you a little bit of what's behind a newer collar, if you will. First things, though, got to figure out what I'm sipping on here. Uh, tribute to being out west, we're going to have a Coors, not Coors Light, mind you, but Coors, the banquet beer, which used to um, only be available out west, actually. According to my can here, it wasn't really till the 80s that it was available nationwide, so kind of like yingling for you people back east so oh man just got some bubbles all over the mic whoops Mm. rocky mountain deliciousness there folks all right so 
what are we doing today? We're going to talk about what are some of the first things that I got to experience as being a pastor. But first, I was given this wonderful book of Wyoming trivia. And I know how much, more than, more than a lot of things, Bullhagen appreciates useless trivia from me. So, this is for you. Um, did you know that out in Wyoming, there are at least 12 different places that start with the words dead man? Including there are three different dead man gulches. Um, let's see, and that is surpassed by devils. There are 13 places that start with the word devils, including three devil's kitchens. So we've got a lot of dead men and a lot of devils out here. It's a great place to be a pastor. Okay, i got to pause it here. Um, one thing I want to say is that is a sign of a good vicarage supervisor is is when the vicar gives you trivia like that and you because you care about the vicar, you show interest, like false interest in what he's saying. So <laughs> so I, t- I take credit for that. I well, and I mean, where did the seminary send them? I mean, Wyoming has 13 places named Devil. Right. You know? And dead, um, dead Man. Yeah, I mean, holy buckets. Like, it sounds like he's out there going to be an exorcist or something. <laughs> All right, here we go. So speaking of being a pastor, one of the first first things I got to experience before actually I was even ordained was trying to set up a bulletin. It might look pretty simple, and maybe for some people it really is, but... Let me tell you, that formatting stuff, it'll, it's rough. It's rough. When you see your secretary next time you're in church and your bulletin is legible and the margins aren't all goofy and the pages aren't flipped or reversed and your fonts are uniform, say a big thank you to that, that fine, fine lady. I'm assuming it's a lady. Maybe you've got a secretary who's a guy. I don't know. But tell her thank you because when you're trying to do it on your own, it's a rough gig. The other thing that has been interesting as being a new pastor is just how fast things start coming at you, so to speak. So um, for those of you who've never been to an ordination service, in the first half of the service, another pastor uh, functions as the, the liturgist, the guy running the service, and then someone else will preach the sermon. And then after the sermon, uh, I was installed or the candidates installed. And then once the installation's done, then the candidate, the newly ordained, uh, is sort of now in control of the service and typically will will celebrate the service of the sacrament with his new congregation or maybe just the prayers if they're not having communion. But anyway, so in ordination service, you're the pastor for the second half of it, right? So I get installed and the service goes well and it's really, really warm and there's not air conditioning. And uh, so we all process out and uh, get ready to shake hands and, and um, the first guy that comes through the line to shake my hand, uh, tells me something to effect of, congratulations, pastor, that's wonderful, so great. And um, I was just wondering if you have any assistance, because I'm going to be homeless tomorrow, and uh, my check doesn't go through till Sunday, and I just, I really, I don't know what I'm going to do. All right, that's, that's, I've been a pastor for all of maybe 40 minutes, and the first guy to shake my hand at my ordination service is someone who's needing help. <laughs> and I'm half delirious from heat stroke, so... It was sort of, wow, already? <laughs> you know, you talk about this stuff at the seminary, and then all of a sudden, there it is. Uh, one note, I was next in line. Okay, first of all, remember, this is a month ago. When right. We were really, maybe close to, closer to two months ago, we were really worried about this coronavirus, even more so now, right? Right. Shaking hands, right? Anyways, well, this guy talked to him, 
And then he came to talk to me. Um, and I'm not used to being that close packed together. You know, it takes a while to get used to again, right? Right. And this guy is literally breathing in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways. Uh, yeah, no, that's, I mean. That happens. Like yeah. you said, it happens quick. Boom, you're a pastor. Now what do you do? You can't do what this guy can do right here. Yeah, go you, talk to, yeah you can't punt, you, you can, know. Go talk to Pat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the next day, so my first day is actually being a pastor, um, I had another call from a family who's, uh, they said that their wheel fell off in the middle of an intersection and they didn't have the money to fix their car, so they're stuck in a hotel. So they're wondering what they could do. The day after that, Tuesday, my second day of being in the office, uh, one of I get a phone call that one of my newly confirmed members, confirmed two months before I got uh, installed, was in a ATV accident and uh, had to get life flighted, so loaded in a helicopter and flown off to a big hospital, because we don't have a very big one here where I'm at, right? So she's in probably bad shape, but I can't get a hold of anybody because all the numbers in the directory are out of date or disconnected, right? So my first three days, I get uh, requests for assistance. I get uh, possibly thinking about serious injury to a very young member of my congregation who I haven't met at this point. Um, it's just wild. But it's amazing how the Lord sees you through all of these things. In the first case, one of the other pastors at the situ at the installation knew the gentleman and was, was able to sort of take him aside and, and help him. Um, the second day, I was able to provide some assistance just based on what I knew from one day and what we had available. And then the second day, the, the young person involved in the accident, God be praised, um, got her to the hospital. Her mom gave me a call back, and she actually didn't even have any broken bones, just a lot of bruising um, and just being banged up. But uh, very much answered prayers, because was, there was a little part of me that was worried I was already going to have a funeral of a very young person that quick. So there's just some thoughts behind being a uh, new pastor, and I'll look forward to keeping these updates coming. Thank you. And do you remember those days? Do you have situations where it came at you quick? Yeah. I mean, uh, my first week I was dealing with uh, 90-year-old couples who uh, were living together outside of marriage. So mine weren't exactly the uh, financial or uh, people getting life lighted, but uh, some, you know, some pretty serious stuff. What, what I remember about my first uh, is uh, I had uh, uh, the pastors who pre preceded me were very very different from each other mm -hmm. um one went on to become uh, a pastor at a church where he was like a model ablaze church okay do you want to explain what a blaze is for maybe some of our younger listeners who might not have yes a blaze was a program uh in our synod that uh was uh meant to be uh an evangelism program type of a thing and a blaze was in a way you know set us on fire for the gospel it has some actually some good ideas because i mean we should try and do do that but it kind of centered around a, just a big fundraiser thing and it's the kind of thing that uh, every every synod president a lot of times will have this big program and then a new guy is elected and then that that's forgotten and and some older pastors will kind of find think it's funny someone asked me when i was about the ablaze and if we we're going to do this or not and i said well i'm I'm still on number year four of the 310 emphasis, <laughs> <laughs> which, and so, so they would take churches that were growing and they say, well, what are they doing right? 
and most of the time it was, well, we had a church in the suburbs that's also very much growing. Um, but then the another pastor actually wound up leaving the Missouri Synod to become an Orthodox priest. Priest. So I was so, it over infant communion or I don't remember. And so, so here I am with uh, both beloved by certain groups of people. Mm-hmm. And then here comes 24-year-old Smiley Bullhagen. Hey. You know. You you did look a lot different back then. Right. Right. And so. You know, you, you were kind of thin and gangly. Uh, you hadn't, like, bulked out Right, I hadn't filled out, out yet. yet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was like a, like a puppy still. You know, my arms were kind of Go, long. Going and back right. and looking at some of the confirmation pictures here is kind of fun. So. <laughs> and so, like, the first week, first two weeks, okay. They had certain questions that were, were, each pastor felt very strongly about. And if you know me, you know, like where to put the flowers? That's something I'd be super passionate about. I mean, you know, <laughs> I I would be surprised if you would like all and in all details things, all that everyone was. And so not only did I have to like immediately make an answer of things that I never thought about, that I never really cared about, that everyone else was fired up about. Immediately, I had to consider, okay, who am I making mad by just, you know, just answering a question? It was, it was quite bizarre. So I think I handled it okay because I think my youth played into it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, look at this kid; he's poor guy's doing his best. You know, he smiles a lot. We'll give him a shot, right? <laughs> but yeah, it was it was just immediately. What about the flowers? And then what about the and then. Not long after that Christmas tree, we, we used to have one Christmas tree. And then we put, then we got two Christmas trees. And I tried to do this where, where okay, some want two Christmas trees, some want one Christmas tree. So I got one big Christmas tree, and then nobody was happy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, that's what came at me quickly too. And uh, and so if you have a, a new pastor, you know, oftentimes isn't it funny how a lot of the time it's not the big like the big things. Right. But it's these very little... You can say the word petty. I was going to say adiaphora. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, it's the things that aren't commanded by God or forbidden. Mm-hmm. And, but that's what everybody gets their pants in a bunch of. Right. About, well, know? and, and to, to be fair to the people there, they had pastors who were very passionate about those things. Yeah. I... Yeah. And and those things, you know, where to put the flowers became a battle. Yeah, this and I mean that's that's part of that's why as a pa- you know, as a pastor you got to be very careful. Yeah, and that, that's about... what happened because if you have two pastors back to back who were both very passionate about things. Um but they were different and tried to teach, well this is important or this is important. That does bring confusion to the people, which is why I tried to deal with it with with love and care because they were going by what they were taught. They were going by right. with what they were led and and uh and they they uh you know kept on getting guys out of the seminary. Um that was kind of their thing. See, it's know. a lot of it's a lot of formalism. And so um and when you go out to get out of the seminary a lot of times you're a lot more passionate about certain things than other things that you know, after ten years, oh yeah, I can see eh. <laughs> yeah, I. There are good reasons to do certain things, right? Yeah, you, you don't have to have a white wedding dress to get married. 
right? Mm-hmm. But don't tell the bride that. Right. And it go, kind of goes in to what I've said many times earlier in the podcast, and that is um, uh, the most important thing when it comes to those those little things is just to, to everyone to buy into what's going on and be supportive. You know, if you think about who, how, when is the congregation going to most learn about these things? Well, if everyone has an open ear and is listening and not simply, well, I... Well, and this is why, too, the pastor ought to teach, okay, these are the things that are commanded by God. These are the things forbidden by God. Here's the stuff that's neither commanded nor forbidden, but that doesn't mean it's not important. And this is why we do things the way that we do them. Right. And if another guy comes along, see, that's that's what we have to do. We have to, because otherwise then it just becomes uh, all chasubles and bells and whistles and tonsures and all the stuff we don't actually need. Right. Right. And then that then that was just confusing to them. That was mm-hmm. that was difficult for them. Um and going back to the to, to Baldwin, we can call him Baldwin now. We don't have to refer to him as a number anymore. Like seventeen, like this one. Someday you'll have a name. Hopefully. Yeah. Um but uh uh with him hit him it was immediately just the, the work of a pastor and in and, and uh and I will tell you, seventeen. There's going to be the first couple of weeks things that questions that you have never considered before. Well, like I don't know how you guys deal with it here, but you know we've got a benevolence fund set up at our mm-hmm. congregation in order to help those who are uh, suffering from accidents, poverty, right, that sort of stuff. If uh, we we give to uh, the a kind of a kitty that all the churches give to. Mm-hmm. So that there's a central place. Yeah, they did that on my vicarage too. They send so, it all to the so that you don't office, have because we have uh, for us, you know, a town of only four thousand. We got a lot of different churches. People would go from one church to the other and just kind of yeah, you know, use a system. And this way, um, we can help that way. Maybe sometime someone needs gas to go to whatever or groceries. And there have been times where where um, you know, I could tell, you know, I could see kids like, oh, our kids are hungry and they, it's a van and, you know, it's out of state license plate. And, you know, so, but generally I don't, when those cases, if it's money or gas or something, uh, I either meet them at the grocery store. I ask them what kind of food that your kid, children like, and I buy them food. Yeah. Or I'll meet them at the gas station and I'll say, okay, you know, I'll put some gas in your car for you. Um, this is the whole innocent as doves, shrewd as serpents thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, because there have been times where someone said, well, I told them I'll leave you a gas card at the gas station. Um, and then after they picked it up and bought stuff, I asked the attendant what they bought with it. They said they bought beer and cigarettes with it. Yep. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's kind of kind of how I do. And it gives me a chance then to talk with them because sometimes they have mm-hmm. more issues that they ta- need to talk about. But, yeah. Um, and I imagine with him, with Baldwin, he's he's uh, right on the interstate that goes across Wyoming. So he probably is that eighty or I think it's I think it's eighty. Um, is it eighty or does ninety go through? It goes through part of Wyoming, right? I don't remember what, but they're the major interstate that goes right through. That's what he's on. So okay. So um, I imagine you know when you're out in Wyoming and. Oh, there's a, a place where there's help. I'm sure he's going to get a lot of that just for 
for being where he is. Oh, we've driven for 12 hours and haven't seen any people. Uh, we've gone this far. We haven't talked about what we're preaching on yet. Berg, what are you preaching on? Well, first, let's uh, look at the text. Uh, Vicar, what is the gospel reading for this coming Sunday? It would be Matthew six twenty-four through 34. All and right. uh, you have a kind of a description of what that is, that passage? Yeah, this takes place during the famous Sermon on the Mount of Jesus. And in particular, this is the section title, uh, that's kind of titled, Do Not Be Anxious. So it's the somewhat well-known, you know, consider the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how they do not the reap and sow, but God still ha- takes care of them. And then kind of concludes with, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Actually, Vicar, you're preaching. So what are you saying about that text? Uh, considering that, you know, you know, the word anxious comes up in it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And with the way the year has gone, it seems like, like it made sense to consider that it, and kind of the, ad, the advice side of this. Of It's not saying, oh, we shouldn't have any anxiety. It's, you know, focusing on how that anxiety shouldn't be drawing our view from God. The the first verse in the reading where he's talking about, you know, no one can serve two masters. This idea of, you know, there's stuff that we have to be concerned with. That's part of our life and that is appropriate. But we shouldn't be so focused on our worries and concerns that we forget that Christ has saved us. Yeah. Because ultimately, uh, as the end of the text would say, seek first the kingdom of God, you know, the kingdom of God is really ultimately what matters mm-hmm. and so and when you you pray the lord's prayer which is also a part of the sermon of the mount right it's a reminder as you pray give us this day our daily bread that god does care for all of your needs it, it does come from him and you are more value than the birds of the air or the lilies of the field and so in the midst of worry uh to remember the most important thing the kingdom of god and did you notice how he says seek first not worry about the kingdom of god Mm-hmm. He, he talks about worry and anxiousness. When he directs our eyes to the kingdom of God, where does that come from? Does that come from something that we have to do that we have to worry about? Or does it come from graciously from our Lord Jesus? And so, because he is there to proclaim and to give the kingdom of God to us. In the midst of worry, uh, I also appreciate the way he kind of describes it in this way. When he points our eyes to the, the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, in a way he explains it, you know, you don't have to worry. God Which, takes care of them. Right. Right, which which to me is a, a very gracious way to deal with this because you and I both know as pastors, when we tell people not to worry, what do they do? They worry even more. Yeah, they, they worry about how much they worry. Yeah. And uh, so if you, you direct them in the midst of, of their weary to, to, to Christ, that that's a freeing thing. It's interesting, too, how Jesus brings up this Old Testament, uh, really history, when he says that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these flowers. Uh, Vicar, what did you find on King Solomon? And, uh, and why, why, would that, why would this Old Testament history have a connection to the text today and even to our own lives? Yeah. So uh, Solomon's kingdom is described in the book of 1 Kings, in particular his wealth in chapter 10. Uh, through his trade empire every year, he received 666 talents of gold, which is about 25 tons. 
and a cost of a single ton of gold about 64.3 million so he's bringing in well solomon was bringing in about 1.6 billion in just gold every year which looking at some comparisons that's that's enough that he could have bought and replaced two or three air force one jets every single year just because mm-hmm Pretty impressive. Well, I, Vicar, I will say, though, um, you might want to look. That hadn't been invented yet? No, it hadn't. Okay. But I just want to... I could have gone with, with other price tags, too. I know. I'm just that's, kidding. That's, that's <laughs> the biggest thing I could easily find. It's like, okay, that's... I can see that. I can Actually, see that. I, I will say this. To be honest, if you if you had an Air Force One in Solomon's Day, that would be worth even more. <laughs> It'd be an antique. <laughs> right. It'd be like finding Moses's DVD player. So the point is... He had an iPad. Oh, that's right. Because he wrote everything down on a tablet. Oh, good job. (laughs) I like that. So what you're saying, the point, Berg, is you're saying to Solomon, when it rings of Solomon, Solomon was like the biggest example that people could think of. He had all of this wealth, all of this power, all of this money. I mean, the dude wasn't a shabby dresser. We'll just say that. Right. Right? And yet, despite all of this, right, Uh, despite all of this, a flower that we cut off and we put on the altar and then in a week it's all wilted and we throw it away. Yes. Yes. I always love, love the idea of giving flowers here. Watch these die, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's true. Yeah. That's, that's for another day. Right. Yeah. But, uh, these, these flowers, which are gone, we buy Mm -hmm. these flowers every week and then we throw them away. Uh, we don't really think all that much of them. They're more beautiful than what Solomon was with all of his gold, with all of his splendor, with all of his might, with all of his chariots. Uh, he was bringing in more money than any one of us will ever see in our entire lives. And mm-hmm. yet a flower is more beautiful than him. That should teach us something about which master we should serve. That should teach us something about which master, because money is a cruel god. Money, you work hard, you break your back for it, you end up with an empty home, with a broken family, and with money that finally goes away. And and which, by the way, we had been done doing a lot of talking about Ecclesiastes, a realization that Solomon learned. At the end. Yes. That all of this... Is meaningless, vanity. Yeah. The only way that we can truly enjoy wealth and money and possessions is if God is our master. Otherwise, the the things own you. Right. And that's what we see a lot of today. Uh, we should uh, keep moving um, with our uh, top 12 list. Bullhagen, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. All right, so what do you have for us this week? Well, believe it or not, I am I am not the originator of such lists that I make, right? Go on. Um, you know, there are other people who have made lists long before I have. You know, can you think of any examples, Vicar? Schindler's List. Okay. As before my time, yep. Um, Ten Commandments <laughs> comes to mind. Good movie. Yeah. Both of those are very good movies. <laughs> um... Uh, and uh, there is, um, I thought there was one list that uh, the pastors know and cherish, Lutheran pastors know and cherish, that uh, we we know very well, 
but perhaps um, the people in the pew may not know. And, and so I am going to take a, a portion of a list that was not created by me, but created by someone named C.F.W. Walther. So who is he? Vicar. Walther was one of the first, I mean, we could even almost argue first LCMS minister in the United States. Uh, he He's most well-known as being the first president of the LC, the uh, Senate and the, I'm remembering that correctly, I hope. I'm going to have a history mm-hmm. professor catch me on this and like, you didn't pay attention in class. Well, as opposed yeah. to, you know, really uh, Martin Stefan was, yeah. was the... The great thing about Walther is that he took a German cult and turned it into an orthodox confessional uh, synod. Right. Because yeah. under Stefan, it kind of it was. It was pretty much a cult. Yeah. They, they left Germany following Stefan, and they said, oh, well, you know, we're the last. This is Lutheranism. We're, we're the last Lutherans. Right. You know, the pillar of the truth is leaving Germany. You know, not that different than Joseph Smith. Yeah, they they also settled in Missouri. Yeah, kind of the same. <laughs> but Stefan was at least literate. Yeah, yes, he was. And then he got caught doing some things with women that he was accused of in Germany, and his followers just thought it in Germany that it was uh, just rumors. Just rumors. They were trying to beat down the true preaching of the gospel. Right, fake news. And then they sent him across the Mississippi, and they had to deal with the question. Are we still church? Do we need to go back to Germany? And and they thought that they were coming to America for these things, but then they find out that the guy that they followed is in error, and all of these pastors left their calls back in Germany. Families were torn apart. It, it was an ugly thing. Right. But with the Altenburg debates, Walther and a few others, they got, they got it worked out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Despite their sin, they were still church. And so one of the the things that, that Walther, he's known for really t- two of his biggest works, would you say? Uh, yeah, there are two that are really well known, and then there's a third one that should be better known Okay, with the predestination controversy. Right. Uh, right. But unfortunately, that's not... But we can talk about that later. But these, uh, the, the ones you're going to be reading from, they were actually... Really, Walther's last lectures right. at the end of his life to students who were going to go out and preach the gospel. Right. So this is all of his experience, all of his hardships, all of his joys distilled down into these lectures. Uh, usually that first class of preaching uh, in the seminary, they study these. Okay, And it's the study of the two doctrines of the Bible, the most important distinction, which is... Um, uh, the two kinds of righteousness. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was an inside joke, guys. If you want to know more about it, email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. Good job, Vicar. All right. There we go. No, these are uh, uh, theses, theses from law and gospel, mm-hmm. which is something that... Uh, um, and a thesis is a statement. A statement, right. And so... Um, what I think many of you of our listeners who, who go to a Lutheran church um, probably will, will think of these and think, oh, yeah, I know these, even though I didn't study these specifically, because hopefully you're used to hearing preaching 
that teaches these things. Uh, and, and, and what I want to do then as we go through these, Berg, is to, um, to not only, because this is also for behind the collar, for our listeners, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, some pastoral considerations and why for us these things are important and how these might affect how we do our work as a pastor. Number one, the doctrinal contents of the entire Holy Scriptures, both of the Old and New Testament, are made up of two doctrines differing fundamentally from each other, the law and the gospel. So uh, that's the first thing, right? Two Mm -hmm. distinct um, doctrines. And this is why we can talk about um, the command that God has that you should do, but also then uh, the the forgiveness that we have, and and when you you uh, intermingle, and as these will 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 show, when there's a confusion between the two, it brings confusion both to the law and to the gospel, and, and which is really easy to do. Yeah, and this first thesis is very nice because it says there are two types of teaching: the law, the gospel. The Bible is written with these two teachings it's Mm -hmm. not a paradigm it's not uh it's not something we're imposing on the text but this is actually what lutherans believe this is how the bible is written right it's written in law and it's written in the gospel and these two things are these two teachings are fundamentally different from one another and and you see jesus using both very strongly a good example of is we just not too long ago, preached on the Good Samaritan, where the teacher of the law says, uh, you know, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of, of, of heaven, inherit eternal life, and, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What does Jesus say? Do this, and you will live. And you will live. But then he goes on to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan, where life was brought to by someone who was dead, and someone had grace and mercy on them. So in that parable, Jesus himself was preaching law and gospel, and he was going through the work of distinguishing the two. See, I believe that the parable of the Good Samaritan is all law. Okay. And I, I think the gospel is from is found actually in the part that comes before it, where Jesus rejoices in the Spirit and says that God has revealed these things not to the wise and the prudent, but to babes, and that the disciples are blessed because their eyes see what many kings and prophets desired to see and did not see them. Because the reason why Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan is that the lawyer is trying to justify himself. Mm-hmm. He's trying to say, okay, who's my neighbor? How can I check this off my list? And right. it ends with, go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. Which is, once again, a very law statement. Right. Um, so in the in the immediate context, I would argue that it's law. However, uh, of course, with applications, we... Uh, oftentimes preach it as mm-hmm. gospel and that Jesus is our neighbor and that he's the one who has come to say, uh, to rescue us, we who are half dead. But I, I would say, though, that uh, the Good Samaritan does bring about the change of heart, though, which is in the sense that um, the priest and the Levi were constrained by the law, which kept them from actually showing love to their neighbor, which is what the Good Samaritan could actually do do that that uh, the gospel produces in us uh the desire to have compassion and to love 
I would say that the that actually the Good Samaritan is the premier example of the law in what the law requires. The law requires uh, pure affections, pure emotions. So he had compassion. It requires uh, good deeds. It requires that nothing be left undone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the the priest and the Levite actually fail in the law of love because they uh, they uh, like Saul thought that sacrifice was more important than mercy. Mm-hmm. And Jesus calls the calls the Pharisees on it, where go and read what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and which is really the the fundamental. Uh, basis of the law is love and these guys don't love but the point is jesus (laughs) taught both law and gospel number two number two only he is an orthodox teacher who not only presents all the articles of faith in accordance with scriptures but also rightly distinguishes from each other the law and the gospel so um vicar what does he mean by orthodox the, the word orthodox, generally speaking, is used to mean just correct teaching. Right, scriptural teaching. Yeah. So we could, we could almost say a synonym would be standard or normal. Right. It's interesting because they, uh, they use that uh, of the, uh, the deaf mute when it talks about him speaking plainly. Right. It's orthos there, straight, right? Right. And that's what, <laughs> and that's what orthodox, right? Straight, and then from that word dox, Doxa, meaning praise, right? Right. This is what true doctrine, when we are, when we teach rightly, we're actually praising God rightly, which is cool. So, And so this would, would say that you could, you know, when you think of all the different articles of faith that we have, uh, none of them really aren't going to make sense unless you have an understanding of what, what law and gospel is and distinguishing what is law and what is gospel. So what would, like, these articles of faith be? I mean, it's kind of interesting now that we're kind of entering confirmation season, mm-hmm. right, where a lot of confirmation classes start. So, like, Vicar, what would uh, some of the articles of faith be that we want to impart to our children? Probably the easiest summary for them would be the six chief parts of the small catechism. Mm-hmm. Where we have the, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, you know, confession, absolution, and then... Baptism and Holy Communion, mm-hmm. right? These so, kind of so cornerstones of the faith, uh, Holy Communion, right? Uh, where you could easily, if you don't understand law and gospel, you can misunderstand the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. because the Lord's Supper could be viewed as um, an ordinance, mm-hmm. a work where you do this and then God is happy with you. Your right. own action, your own remembering, your own confession of of faith. And so the, the power in, of the Lord's Supper is in you, whereas the gospel would say, this is Christ giving. Right, and that's to getting you. to the second part, right, of distinguishing between law and gospel. The Orthodox pastor needs to present the whole counsel of God. So like some of those articles, like creation, the fall, you know, those things that we work through in Bible class, mm-hmm. right, that uh, we lay them out. It's not enough to be considered Orthodox to be answers in Genesis, who confessed the truth about creation. It's not enough to believe that the Lord's Supper is Jesus' body and blood like the Roman Catholics do. It's not enough to believe in baptismal regeneration like the Eastern Orthodox do. Those things are necessary, 
but how are you but they're not sufficient so how are we sufficient in our orthodoxy it's like you said by distinguishing the law from the gospel because like you said uh, the answers in genesis people they turn creation into a law uh the roman catholics turn the lord's supper into a law into a sacrifice into a work which we do to propitiate god um, and we can just keep going down the line is that there's a lot of people who know a lot of stuff about the Bible, but without this distinguishing, without rightly uh, dividing the word of truth, they're not yet Orthodox. And, and which is why um, this is something that's hammered in the seminary and something that one of the, your pastor spends a lot of time in his sermon. Wrestling with this wrestling very with question. This. Because we wrestle a lot with when we're preaching a sermon, are we driving people to their own actions, bringing hope in what they're doing, or in Christ? Or, as we'll see later in some of these, these theses, um, that uh, um, are you preaching the law in a way where everyone really is condemned? Especially for a vicar, as you're learning this, that is one of the biggest struggles. Um, now, that being said, I do remember when I was a vicar and I was typing out my sermons, which probably makes you laugh at thinking that I used to time out my sermons, right? Just a little bit. I literally would do this. I would say, okay, uh, my supervisor wants my sermons to be about 1,400 words. And so I would really strain in the law section to get 700 words. <laughs> and then, okay, good. I got my seven, I'm, Distinguishing law and gospel. I got my 700 words of law. Now I have to get, you know. 700 words of gospel. My, so yes, that's right. Um, that's not the way it is, dear listener. Number three. Rightly distinguishing the law and the gospel is the most difficult and the highest art of Christians in general and of theologians in particular. It is taught only by the Holy Spirit in the school of experience. What happens is people take this for granted. It's kind of taken, the long gospel is taken as, oh, we all know this. Let's move on from that. When no, people don't all know it. I mean, every if you think about, for example, the catechism, when it talks about baptism, you know, drown the old Adam. The old Adam is drowned by daily contrition and repentance and a new man arise. That's law, drowning of the old man gospel, the raising up that God does every day for us in our baptism. We rise again. That is something that is so foundational that we must never take that part for granted. Mm -hmm. um, most theological debates that people wrestle with in the pews are, I would say most of the time, are general law gospel questions. Is this a sin? Mm -hmm. Am I forgiven? And it all kind of filters down to some internal debate about one of those things. And and we must not get complacent in that. It's kind of like what Luther says about the church. It's simple enough that a seven-year-old gets it. The law is what I must do, or the law is love. And on the other hand, the gospel is what God has done for me, or God's love for me. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. That people can pick that up really easy, but then you apply it. That teaching doesn't, you know, help us build a new church building. <laughs> is how people think. You know, it's good for us to help, but it, as far as effectiveness on doing what we need to be a really successful church, well, maybe not so much. 
Well, and it's it's different too when it's uh, your own children. We can all say, oh yeah, yeah, the the general principle, yeah, we we agree with that. But then when it comes to raising your own family, and then you have to apply the law, mm-hmm. or uh, that your children are hurting and you're really angry at them, right? But they're repentant, and then you have to give them the gospel. Mm-hmm. When you have to try to find out what, uh, like a doctor trying to find out, because medical school, I'm not going to say it's it's hard, but you can read the textbook and say, okay, I understand this. I understand how all this works. And then you get a patient who might not always have the same symptoms or uh, a very high pain tolerance or this or that. Uh, it gets very, very difficult. I, I guess kind of a, a, a modern day example that is kind of like this is the way everyone's throwing the word science around. Mm-hmm. You know, the wildfires, you just look at the science. The wildfires are all caused by global warming. You know, that's what the science says, some people say. And the other people say, well, that's not science. And the scientific method. You have a hypothesis, you observe, you test in a lab, you refine your hypothesis. And the whole idea of science is, is questioning. The more questions, the better. And then, but then, yeah, you put it into... This is this is true for anything like the coronavirus, um, things like global warming. Uh, people look at the data and they are all coming up with hypotheses. And the question is, is are they able to test them, or what are their te- are their are their tests correct? Are they hitting a big enough um, subject group. And the reason why I say that reminds me of this law gospel discussion is, is the scientific method is actually very simple. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. Um, I remember in, in grade school studying, you know, the steps. You know, this is the, the process. Yeah, children do this all the time. And yet, what are we always arguing about now? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's getting so complicated that we don't understand that anymore. You know, you throw the word science out there when... And does that mean then we abandon all sci- science? Well, no, of course not. Because we have cell phones. We have computers. You're actually listening you're able to listen to right. us via the scientific right. method. We know people have arguments about what is right or what is wrong according to science or whatever, and they're talking past each other because the very fundamental thing is they're not understanding. Or maybe they're not talking past each other, but they're debating on the basis of their hypothesis. It's the same way in the church, only people don't ever say, well, can't you guys just all you know stop your argument and just hold to the scientific method? Well, this is how this is how breakthroughs are made. This is how we have things like cars and assembly lines and penicillin and all this stuff. Well, how much more important is it to actually understand law and gospel? This is the stuff that gives you eternal life. This is the stuff that forgives sins. So uh, that brings us to uh, number four. The true knowledge of the distinction between law and gospel is not only a glorious light, affording the correct understanding of the entire Holy Scriptures, but without this knowledge, Scripture is and remains a sealed book. This is why uh, we get really nervous about uh, lay-led Bible studies. Yep. This is why why um, uh, we are very careful about what's heard in the service. This is why we are very concerned about what music we have. Because um, if you teach... Even if you can say, well, this song, for example, can't be wrong. It uses the Bible. There are words from the Bible. But unless it 
distinguishes properly law and gospel, you're teaching a sealed book yeah. in a sense. You know what else? You know what other song has uh, words from the Bible in it? The Beast and the Harlot by Avenged Sevenfold. <laughs> not 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 exactly an appropriate hymn for uh, Sunday morning. That is what one reason why is because of things like this. And that you can't really read the Bible unless you have some understanding of law and gospel. Because otherwise, everything is going to appear as law. Mm-hmm. Then what Jesus says uh, will simply become, uh, and you, you you can see it in the history of the church, um, where in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, all of these things that Jesus says about um, loving your neighbor and, and turning the other cheek, and well, those are just evangelical counsels. So the regular person, he, they don't have to obey it. That's for the... That's for the higher right. spiritual people. <laughs> and Jesus just becomes another lawgiver like Moses. Which is what uh, those WWJD bracelets do. Yeah, or or your your favorite acronym, Bible, Basic Information Before Leaving Earth. So, How did you know that was my favorite? I know a lot about you. Number five. Uh, the first manner of confounding law and gospel is the most easily recognized and the grossest. It is adopted, for instance, by papists, Sosnians, and rationalists, and consists in this, that Christ is presented as a new Moses or lawgiver, and the gospel turned into a doctrine of meritorious works, while at the same time those who teach that the gospel is a message of free grace of God in Christ Jesus are condemned and anathematized, as is done by the papists. That's confound means to mix or to change one into the other. Uh, and when he says the grossest, he's not saying the most disgusting. Not the way that you like to use the word gross. Right. It means... Because when you say the word gross, you, you make this face, like, this gross face. Yeah. Yeah. I mean by that disgusting. Where when he is talking about the grossest, he's talking about the most evident, mm-hmm. like the clearest. Like this is the one that you can spot really easy. Mm-hmm. And there are three groups of people he talks about here, right? The papists, the Sassinians, and the rationalists. The Sassinians don't believe that they they believe that Jesus is a mere man. The rationalists, like uh, Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. uh, he actually took the Bible and he cut out all the miracles and turned Jesus into this moral teacher. And the papists do too. When it talks about them anathematizing, they are damning people, and this is what they did in the Council of Trent. Right. They damned people who believed that we are justified by faith alone. Uh, Which, what, what, about 20 years ago they overturned, right? <laughs> no, the Council of Trent still stands, man. <laughs> oh, but I thought I thought Lutherans and Catholics agree that we're saved by grace. Yeah. Through faith. That's, let's just say there was a lot of... Uh, <laughs> that's before your time. There was a lot of equivocating. Those weren't Lutherans, were they? Well, it's they might of, have said they were Lutheran. Well, it was one of those where, uh, where the, like a big statement was made, and it was made all the headlines. And wh- what you mean by faith is different. What do you mean by saved Gra- is different. What you mean by grace is different. Right. So, so you we can agree on this statement. Yeah. I, so basically, this heresy is the gospel is be good and you'll be saved. That really, when it boils, and this afflicts even our own members, because I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it breaks my heart when I hear. People say things like, "Well, I hope, I hope I'm good enough," and then I and then I say, "You're not," but Jesus is, and Jesus died for you. 
it, it is surprising. You have to you have to hit them. You that's the thing. Love them and don't be kind to them. Okay, don't let your kindness stop you from saying what needs to be said. Because if they're hoping that they're good enough, they are still relying on the law to be saved. They're still under the curse of the law. So dash that hope and give them the gospel, that Jesus has died for them, that heaven is open to them, uh, that it has all been accomplished. And that goes to our discussion earlier of, about taking it for granted. When, we, when this happens, we're talking generally to lifelong Lutherans. Yeah. <laughs> who've been in church a bunch of times, who've heard us preach a bunch of times, and they say, well, or the, it's to me, it's sometimes it's, it's always been expressed this way. You know, I hope, you know, I believe enough. Yeah. Which is the same thing. Which turns faith into a work, which we'll get into in a later thesis, right. I believe. But it, it is. It's it's scary because this is this is our default position. And this is something we have to battle every single day of our lives because we want to be saved by our works. Mm-hmm. That's how we're built. And this is why the gospel is very, very unnatural to us. So uh, we're going to close this episode out uh, now, and uh, we'll continue our next episode next week. Um, I thank you for listening. We'll continue this discussion next time. And we think we have next time we'll have some uh, garlic. Garlic. And uh, and so we'll continue this uh, next week. So uh, I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And may your law and gospel be pure. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.